If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. And welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. And this is your host, Heather Bayer. And as you're listening to this, I'm probably, hopefully, in the sun in Florida. And enjoying my month of February outside of the freezer. Having said that, I know it's been cold down here. Um, It's probably likely that we'll have some below freezing temperatures too here while we are on vacation but uh, hey i really don't care it's uh, it's it's just nice to be down here near the beach i can take the dogs for a walk every day i can go for a run every single morning that's the problem with being in ontario regardless of what the temperature is even when we have a january thaw that i can't go running and i do love to run so I'm I'm out here on the beach every morning, um, even when it's cool, getting a nice early morning run in. So that's what I'm doing most of my time. And also keeping in touch with the office back at, uh, back at home in Ontario, because the thing is with an, an online business as, as we are, is that we, we don't have an office. We never had, well, we did have an office up to about three or four years ago. But still, my business partner has always lived um, four hours from where I do. And, and we have staff in the Philippines. And now we all work from home. Or in my case, I just work from wherever my RV happens to land. And I will be back in Ontario for, uh, for the spring months because that's when we start uh, looking for new properties to come onto our rental management program. Now, the one thing... We enjoy so much in Ontario with our rentals is that up to now, and I know this could change, but up to now, and certainly for the 20 years that I've been renting properties in Ontario, we don't have to pay any occupancy tax. There is no lodging tax, no licensing, nothing. You know, the guests pay a rental rate and that is it. Now, if if our income... If, a, if an owner's income goes over a threshold of around 30,000 Canadian dollars per year from their rental, then you are obliged to register for uh, the federal and provincial sales tax. So, so many owners just keep within that, um, that 30,000. They, they attempt not to go over that, and then they don't have to register, and then no taxes are paid. So I, I always find it interesting that it... You know, wherever you, this is not a one-size-fits-all business. You could be anywhere across the world and certain things are going to be very, very similar to your neighbors in other countries. But there are some things that are very localized that are only relevant to you if you're in a particular area. And that is, um, that's, that is what lodging tax is like across the US. 
uh, every state has its own, every state, every municipality has its own levels of payment of occupancy tax or lodging tax or hotel tax or whatever tax they, they like to call it. This is a tax that guests pay to the owner or the property manager and then owner or property manager then remits it to the local authority, um, whoever is collecting that tax. Now, I know for some it's, it's quite a, not necessarily an arduous process, but it's, it's something because these taxes normally have to be collected quarterly, it's something that you've always got to have in mind. You know, how, how often you collect the taxes, when, they've got, when they're going to be remitted, who they're remitted to, how you remit them. There's a lot of uh, moving parts in this, and particularly when there's perhaps several taxes to collect. You know, there might be an, a, a, tax, a tax to the HOA and, and one to local government and, I don't know, maybe another one. I don't do it up here, so I'm not enlightened about occupancy tax, which is why my guest today is going to tell us all about it. And he is Rob Stevens from Avalara My Lodge Tax. And I've had Rob on the show before. We're going to be talking about that uh, a couple of years ago. And and he's going to um, explain what occupancy tax is, the, uh, the, the perils and pitfalls of not paying it, um, all the things that you need to know. And certainly if you're thinking about investing in a property and you haven't done so yet, doesn't matter where you are. If you're thinking that, oh gosh, I'm not in the US, therefore that this is not relevant to me. Um, paying local taxes is relevant to most people. And even, you know, I find it interesting because I know at some point here in Ontario, we're going to be having to do this as well. So it's, and it's all part of research if you're investing in property. Talking about that and, and as an incentive to stay to the end of this uh, this. <laughs> This episode, I'm going to tell you about uh, a download that I've created, which is a checklist for anybody that's looking to invest in rental property anywhere. Um, I've been asked this question a number of times. You know, what's the first thing you do when you're thinking about investing in property? And my answer is always research, 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 research. But this and this checklist will take you through all the different types of research you have to do to make sure that you are going into any investment wisely and in full knowledge of the consequences. So listen to the end and I'll be telling you how to get that download. In the meantime, let's move on over to my interview with Rob Stevens of Avalara My Lodge Tech. Well, I'm delighted to have with me today Rob Stevens of Avalara My Lodge Tax. And Rob joined me for the episode 079. So since we're up, up in the 200s now, it's been quite a while since, since we last spoke. So welcome, Rob. How great to have you back on the show again. Yeah, thanks, Heather. Thanks for having me. So yeah, we last spoke in May 2015. Just seems like yesterday. <laughs> so what's changed for you since then? Because at that time, we were talking about hotspot tax. Sure. Yeah, indeed. So I think a lot has certainly changed with us. Our company was acquired, um, you know, shortly before we last spoke, but we hadn't rebranded. Um, we were hotspot tax at that time, and now we're Avalara Mileage tax. I think 
on our end, we, we, we continue to work and toil away on you know, lodging taxes, making the solution hopefully easier and easier for everybody. Um, and we are increasingly becoming integrated with our, you know, our parent company, Avalara, uh, which, you know, doesn't necessarily mean a lot for probably the vacation rental audience, but as we work upstream with larger hospitality companies, um, we, we were bringing more sophisticated, you know, product product offerings to bear for that, you know, larger, more commercialized market. Um, I think, you know, I can't I can't answer a question about 2015 without also really thinking about the industry, which I think is going uh, you know undergoing significant change over the last several years. I think you know one of the catalysts was you know Expedia acquired HomeAway which which closed in in late 2015 you know after we last spoke. So I think that's driving you know a lot of change in the industry um, on the tax side, you know since we last spoke Airbnb has entered the market and agreeing to collect taxes voluntarily in, in many, many in, in an ever-expanding footprint of markets. Um, so that's really changed the world. So now in a lot of markets, if people are listing on multiple platforms, there's one tax rate they charge if it's a homeway or a VRBO booking or their own booking and a different tax rate or no taxes that they charge if the booking is sourced through Airbnb. So that's been a big change, um, you know, creating lots of confusion as well. And then Homeway actually has started to enter that market as well. I'm not sure how well known it is, but they've announced that they're collecting in uh, Broward County, Washington, D.C., I believe uh, Puerto Rico. And I think we're all probably expecting them to expand markets where they're collecting taxes. So certainly lots of changes within the industry and in our little corner of the world, lodging taxes, you know, certainly a lot of change as well. Well, it's interesting. We were talking about May 2015, and I was looking back on some of the uh, some of, some of the uh, interviews I did at that time. I remember talking to somebody about Airbnb at that time, mm-hmm. and I professed right. to knowing absolutely nothing about Airbnb. You know, I didn't know anybody who was using it. <laughs> I listened. I listened back to that uh, that session a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I hang my head in shame because I think I should I should have known far more about it. But, you know, I, I think I mentioned that because the, the industry, as you say, the industry has changed so dramatically in the past, you know, coming up on three years, I guess, two and a half, three years, that it's almost right. unrecognizable now from, yes. from what it was. I mean, what hasn't changed is something that I said to you back in that, uh, that last interview that um, I, I noticed when I look back on the show notes. And I'll, I'll, put, a, I'll put a link to that previous interview um, in today's show notes, so you know people could go and and listen to the one before if they wanted. But in those sure. show notes, I mentioned that I knew nothing about lodging taxes because we don't have them here in Ontario. We pay right. we pay uh, we pay no taxes at all, apart from a harmonised sale tax if income is above thirty thousand Canadian dollars a year. That's it. Right. Right. So so right. to me, this is all. This all seems incredibly complicated. So I'm probably the best person for you to talk to as if I was a brand new owner. There's a lot of new people coming into this industry now who are seeing it as a little bit of a cash cow. Um, they, they hear about people making significant income on Airbnb and they want right. to join this bandwagon. Tax isn't the most exciting of topics. But it's obviously really important that um, that it's part 
of their research when a new owner is, is starting out? What should they do at the outset? Yeah, in, indeed, and and your point's well taken. I mean, t- tax certainly isn't the most exciting thing, but I do. Th- what I do think is exciting is is our industry, and and you know, since we last spoke two and a half years ago, it's become even more mainstream, right? I mean, you know, Airbnb wasn't necessarily top of mind with everybody uh, two or three years ago, but now you know, the term Airbnb is ubiquitous. It's actually used for you know, providing a short term rental. Um, like a verb. So the industry has really, and I think you know, those of us that have been around for a bit, I'll probably all agree, it's really become a mainstream industry. It's gone, I think, from a niche industry five or so years ago to really a mainstream part of the travel industry. So that's all very exciting. Um, now, one of the things legally, particularly here in the U.S. and the United States, you know, lodging taxes, sales taxes, room taxes, whatever they're called, are really ubiquitous. And if you're short-term renting through any platform, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're short-term renting, which usually is, you know, less than 30 days uh, for most states. Now, some states it's 90 days, and some big states like, you know, Florida and Hawaii, short-term is is considered six months. But if you're if you're short-term renting a home, apartment. Uh, a studio apartment, you know, a trailer, really any type of accommodation in the state, you're, you're tripping the requirements to collect lodging taxes. And while it's, you know, not as exciting as, as you know, getting bookings and driving revenue, it, it is an unfortunate and necessary part of the whole rental process. And one that's, you know, one thing that's happened in the last couple of years is the enforcement environment is increasingly changing. And, you know, the increasingly city, states, and counties are really focusing on our industry and looking at the industry as a source of tax revenue. And, you know, the years of being on these websites and, and renting your property and not being tax compliant is probably um, something of the of the past or, or soon will be. So while not exciting taxes is, is, you know, frankly, a very important step that's something everybody needs to pay attention to. So uh, to answer your question, you know, I'll try to do it, you know, quickly and concisely. What does someone need to be, you know, if somebody's new to the market or just bought a property or has decided they're going to finally take the jump into the short-term rental pool with their existing property, vacation home, or primary residence? I mean, it's, it's, I'll keep it pretty simple. I mean, really, the first and foremost, they just need to be aware that, you know, from a, from a tax and regula- regulation standpoint, they are operating like a small business. So, you know, we think the most important thing is just to, just to be on top of the taxes. Be aware that any location in the U.S., with a few exceptions, you know, any location in the U.S., you are going to need to collect or remit these tax from your guests. And these are, to your point, they're very different than income taxes. And what people need to, re- you know, keep in mind is these are taxes determined by the city, state, and county where your property is located. So there's multiple level levels of taxation. Some places you only have to pay a state tax or a city place, a, a city, a state tax or a city tax. Other locations, you're taxed by all three: city, county, and state. Um, so the taxes, you know, it's, it's, it's different layers. It can add up. It typically adds up to be pretty significant, 10 to 15% of the rent. And, and you, you know, you're required by law just to tack that on. You know, if you charge a guest $1,000 and it's a 10% tax, you have to, you know, charge them $1,000 rent and tack on a, you know, $100 in taxes. Um, and then the other important thing to keep in mind is unlike income taxes, which are filed once a year, is these taxes are typically due monthly or quarterly. Uh, so you have to keep paying these taxes through the course of the year, and so, you know one of the you know this catches a lot of people. Even if you don't have revenue and tax to pay, let's say it's the slow season and you're not renting your property, 
um, or there are no rentals, you still have to file and remit the tax reports um, to the agencies on time, uh, even if you don't have revenue to report. And that's how they know that you're actually filing and reporting no activity versus, you know, ignoring their filing requirements or forgetting to file. At, at a high level, those are the basic requirements that people need to keep in mind. So, so I just want to step back a little bit and just to, to clarify for, for everybody who's listening that we are not talking here about income tax, what is paid um, you know, annually to the government as an income tax, right? This is a common source of confusion in the marketplace. And it's, you know, it's not that people are unsophisticated. It's just a lot of people that are entering the short-term rental market have just never dealt with these taxes before. And I think we as people just, you know, we all have experience with income taxes. We all file them once a year with our state and federal government. And it's, you know, it's just something that it's culturally we do. And so when, when we as individuals hear about taxes, we just naturally think of income taxes. But as you get into the short-term rental market, really we're talking about a class of taxes. It, really, it's the same taxes that hotels pay. And it's a specific tax designed to tax, you know, literally lodging or short-term accommodations. And they are very different. Um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, sales taxes are administered by city, state, and county authorities, Income taxes are generally with the federal government. Most states do have a an income tax, but income taxes are filed annually, whereas the you know lodging taxes are filed monthly and quarterly. And the other big difference that that you know surprises people is you know for income tax you get to deduct your mortgage interest, your operating costs, your utilities, your maintenance, all your expenses. For sales and lodging taxes, there are no deductions. It's a gross receipts tax, so it's a it's a tax on the total amount paid by the guest. And again, it can be 10 or 15%. So for people that are doing 20, 30, $40,000 a year in bookings, you know, plus a 10 or 15% tax, the rally is they owe thousands of dollars per year um, in these sales and lodging taxes. Now, the good news is, you know, the guest pays the tax. So it's really just a pass-through for the host or the homeowner. But, um, you know, those are some of the key differences between, between income taxes and sales taxes. And uh, and some of the uh, the online travel channels have made it you know like Airbnb, HomeAway, they've made it easier when when you're putting a listing online, there is a separate sure. it's, you know the tax is a separate line item. So yeah, exactly, exactly. All the major sites are going to have a field uh, in their website where you can you know list your tax rate and any bookings through that site, um, you know, will automatically collect the tax as part of the rent or part of the invoice. <laughs> So, so when somebody's looking for a property, you know, they're, they're researching different areas. How do they find out what uh, what what these um, the tax tax obligations are in different localities? How do they find out what's local, what's uh, what's statewide? Yeah, sure. Um, so to to determine the taxes, I mean, my advice is always, and I mentioned it before. This is there's multiple layers of taxation, so. Unfortunately, you need to check with the with the state where your property is located, the city, and the county. Now, if you're now, now if you're not in city limits, then you don't have to worry about the city. You just need to check with the county and the state. But I always recommend to people start with the state, start with the highest level. You know, Google searches or internet searchers obviously is 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 how people do these things these days. But if you just you know if you Google um, your state name and hotel tax. Use the term hotel. That's a great way to identify 
these taxes. They're not always called hotel taxes. They're called a lot of different things. But you just have to check, you know, check your state website first. And, and a lot of times the state will collect the tax, you know, or some of the taxes for the city and the county. And then, you know, once you've covered off the state, then I would go to the county, check with the county, check, you know, do the same with the city. And I wouldn't, especially at the city and county level, I wouldn't solely rely on what you find on the internet. I would look on the internet, see if you can find some good information, and then call the, you know, the finance department or the county treasurer where your home is located and ask them about these types of, of hotel taxes. Uh, and unfortunately, because of the different layers, it can be a bit laborious, and you know, these tax agents and jurisdictions aren't always easy to reach or user-friendly by phone. What do owners need to consider bef- about actually filing their, these, these tax returns? Because they've got, um, they're, they're doing this frequently. Yeah. So, you know, the process starts with just figuring out what the requirements are, figuring out what the taxes are that I need to collect. I mean, another tip is to look, obviously, at other, you know, VRBO listings or HomeAway listings or, you know, if you're on Booking.com, is to look at what other people are doing, which, by the way, that's not always correct, but it can be a good guide to get started. Or another trick I'll tell people is, you know, call a hotel in the town where your vacation rental is located, and they'll, 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 they typically know right away what the what the correct tax rate is. So the first part is determining what the requirements are, and, and, and part of that is, we haven't talked about this yet, you know, before you can file and pay these taxes, you have to register with each of these agencies. So that could be a state department of revenue, it could be a city finance department, or it could be both, or it may also include a county finance department. So before you, you can't just, unfortunately, you can't just, you know, charge the tax, collect it, and then cut a check and and mail that check to the to the tax collector. You have to first register. Um, with these agencies, oftentimes that requires also getting a business license or a short-term rental permit. In some markets like Austin, Texas, San Francisco, you know, Sonoma County, County, California, really in a lot of places, it's becoming increasingly burdensome and expensive to get you know registered and licensed as a vacation home or short-term rental. So before you can think about you know collecting and filing, actually there's a whole registration process you have to go through with the different agencies, different forms you have to fill out. They issue you a license or tax account, they, and sometimes they'll send you online filing instructions or they'll send you a booklet of coupons on how you remit the taxes. But then once you register, um, each agency will tell you or should tell you, you know, here's the forms you need to file. We need them monthly. We need them quarterly. Um, they'll give you, you know, some guidance on how the taxes should be remitted each period. Do these things change? Do they change over time? Do you have to continually be aware of of changes in in tax obligations? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. Yes, they do, uh, and they do. You know, in any particular month, uh, you know, we have a whole content department that tracks lodging sales and lodging tax rates all over the United States and every month there's you know I get a list of the changes for the month and every month there are changes there, there th- these rates are fairly static you when you think about it in terms of a year or a couple years but they are subject to change and they do typically change over time uh, I'll give you a couple of examples for instance Hawaii just you know, as a state, uh, you know, like many states, it's kind of borderline desperate for more tax revenue, just passed a 1% increase to their transient accommodations tax. So now in Hawaii, you, you pay 10.25% uh, transient accommodations plus general excise, which is about 4%. So it's it's close to, a, a you know, a 14.5% tax 
in Hawaii, and you know they're, they actually changed their transfer accommodations rate last time in 2007, 2008. After the big economic crisis, they needed more revenue, where they took it from seven and a quarter percent to nine and a quarter percent. Now they're going to ten and a quarter percent. Um, you know, Broward County, Florida, it's a big rental owner. They just increased January 1st, their tax rate 1%. So, you know, they don't, they don't happen every day, but certainly these taxes are subject to change. And, you know, by and large, over time, they tend to go up and, and not down. Sounds incredibly complicated to me. I'm, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's not as complicated as it sounds, or is it? <laughs> well, it's, it's not rocket science. I agree with you. And, you know, I'm a vacation rental owner myself. And, when I started, when I when I bought my little condo in Vail, Colorado, and and put it on VRBO back in uh, 2000, you know I, that's when I first came across these taxes. And and while it's not um, necessarily rocket science or that complicated for somebody that that, that like me is a you know an accountant and deals with taxes every day, um, as I've articulated, there's state level taxes, county, city. There's changes. There's forms. It actually is a, a fairly burdensome, and it was really through that experience of dealing with these taxes myself that we came up with the inspiration of, you know, starting a company, uh, a business that would really do this for people. So, um, you know, it, again, some people, if they're very organized and diligent, it's not necessarily hard for them to do on their own, and that's a great option. But there's a lot of people that are not familiar with these or don't have the time or energy to really check with different different agencies, fill out all the forms, stay on top of it. And I think that's where, obviously, we think that that's our role in the marketplace is to be, you know, a good solution for folks that want to be compliant but want to make it really simple and not deal with it. Mm-hmm. What happens if, if people aren't compliant? If, if somebody who's listening to this is, is now thinking, yeah, I've, I've been renting for six months or so and I haven't been collecting any taxes. Yeah, that, that's a great question. That's very, very common. Uh, I would say a large percentage of our customers come to us with that type of um, you know, kind of case where they just weren't aware of the taxes or they had some awareness and called the state, never got a call back. And, t- you know, time went on and all of a sudden, three months, six months, a year goes by and they haven't been, you know, collecting or paying the taxes. So um, while there are really kind of onerous and, you know, potentially scary consequences if you're not paying these taxes, you know, they can build up over time and charge you back tax and pile on penalties and interest. And, you know, if they want to get really nasty, they can put a lien on your vacation home and and force the sale of the property. And we've seen things like that in extreme cases. But, you know, for the most part, that that's rare. I mean, these things do happen if you don't you know, if you're not compliant over time. But the good news is for people, and there's a lot of them out there that maybe haven't been compliant or have gotten behind, most states and cities have programs, formal programs to work with people that have back taxes where they'll, you know, bring somebody in compliance and waive penalties or waive some of the penalties. Or if they don't have formal programs, they'll work with people that, you know, just just were simply unaware or for whatever reason, you know, just weren't on top of the taxes, perhaps the way they should have been. Um, and, and we actually help a lot of customers, new customers, through that type of process. We'll do that for them initially. But there's there's good ways to, to kind of get caught up without it being too painful if that's what people choose to do. Mm-hmm. So um, tell me about exemptions, because there are certain people in the population who are exempt from paying these taxes. Yeah, exemptions are are fairly complicated. I mean, there's 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 two types of exemptions in my mind. One is long term renters, 
that's that's not the complicated kind. So in most places, if it's a monthly rental contract, then they're going to be exempt. But again, there are states like Tennessee and, and Georgia and South Carolina where it has to be a 90-day in New York, where it has to be a 90-day rental. And by the way, that's not an exhaustive list. There's other jurisdictions states that have 90-day short-term rental definitions, so it'd have to be 90-day or longer to be exempt. And then you know states like Florida that have six-month exemption rules. So long-term rent, that's pretty straightforward. You just simply don't collect the tax on that if they meet those long-term rent exemption requirements. The other and the much more complex one is the what's considered, you know, the the nonprofit, the charitable, uh, the government employee. There are exemptions for, you know, nonprofit groups, charitable organizations, sometimes universities, um, government agencies, but those exemption rules can vary by state and even sometimes city and county. So, you know, it's I can't we can't say universally that a you know, a church group is exempt across the U.S. They may in some states, they may not in some states. In some states, a federal government employee acting on official business may be exempt from these taxes, and other states they're not. So probably telling you more than you want to hear about exemptions, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of a tr- tricky area, and it gets very specific given the type of group mm-hmm. that it is. I mean, the, the one thing I would say for a homeowner or host, the way to be safe is any, anybody that claims that they're tax exempt should have an exemption certificate from from their state or your state. And if you have that exemption certificate, that's a good indicator that they probably are legitimate, do have legitimate exemptions. You don't necessarily have to worry about the rules. And, and sometimes it's good just, you know, if they have that exemption certificate, often you can just rely on that. Yeah. So if some, if some, if a guest comes and says, you know, I don't pay tax, I don't, I don't need to pay the lodging tax, I'm exempt. So the, the host should be asking for this, uh, this exemption. Yes. In every time. case, Yes, they shouldn't just say I'm exempt because I'm a government worker. That doesn't, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not that simple. They need to produce an exemption certificate, and in that in that nonprofit world or that government world, those are very common because they're you know they're trying to claim those exemptions in a lot of places. Um, they should easily and readily be able to produce an exemption certificate. Excellent. Um, what what about non-residents? That's one question I had from some of. Um, from my Canadian colleagues who say, you know, they, they've got properties or are thinking of buying a property in the U.S. How how do they yeah. deal with this in exactly the same way? Yeah, they do. There's no, there's really no difference. And we actually have tons and tons of Canadians and Europeans that own properties. It seems like particularly in Florida and mm-hmm. in Arizona, but, you know, all over the place. But it, it's really no different just because you're, you know, a European or a Canadian citizen that certainly doesn't really exempt or change these requirements you know, you still need to collect the tax, register, you know, remit it and pay it every every month. And it's the same answer whether you're, you know, sometimes people get hung up as well. I'm just a, I don't have a company. It's just, I'm just a sole proprietor and I'm an individual or, you know, whether you're a sole proprietor, whether you have a C corporation, an S corporation, a partnership, a limited liability company, or whether it's a Georgia company that has a vacation run on Florida, none of that really matters you know, whether you're a, a U.S. citizen, a foreigner, how you're organized, what type of company you have, the, the, the real basic bottom line is if you're short-term renting in the States, you're going to have a lodging tax obligation, and none of those details really changes any of that. Right. So, so as a non-resident, you can still go and register at the state, the county, the local level? 
Absolutely. Now they don't always make it easy for you. They, they don't, you know, they don't. They may not like your Canadian social insurance number. Some, sometimes they will. Some people say that's great. We'll just write this nine-digit number on our form. But sometimes they'll tell you to go off and get a number issued by the IRS, and that can be a real, real hassle. So yes, the requirements are the same, and, and yes, you know, foreigners, non-U.S. citizens can can register. Sometimes there's some extra hoops to jump through, um, but it certainly can be done. So is there, is there anything that um, a, a property manager who, who is um, sort of speaking to new clients, new owner clients, is there anything that that property manager can, should be saying to them to prepare them for, for rental? Does a property manager usually collect and remit, them t- remit that tax for that property themselves? Yes, usually they do. Usually, that's part of what a full service manager would, would would handle for a for an owner. Not in every case, but most of our and we have a lot of property managers that that use our service as well. But typically, the manager handles the taxes. So I think there's there's two points they can communicate. One, I think it's you know for a lot of owners, you know these taxes are really kind of daunting and scary, or they're very aware of these taxes. So one of the, I think it's a real selling point actually for, for certain owners and certain managers to tell, tell a, a client or a customer that we're, you know, part of what we're going to handle is all these taxes for you. So it should be a selling point that it's something they don't have to worry about. Um, the, the, the other point would be that, you know, sometimes there, there, there may be licensing fees, you know, just like we need a lot of personal information from our customers to do their taxes, that property manager may need uh, you know social security numbers um, if it's an LLC they, they they're going to need LLC information um, they, they, they may may need some additional fees from the from the owner to cover business licensing costs things like that so you know I think an owner should build the I'm sorry a property manager should probably build the expectation with an owner up front that there may be some you know some more detailed information we're going to need from from you to properly get you registered with a, whatever city and county uh, that your property is located, but you know we're going to get you registered and do all the hard work and take care of filing these taxes each month. But there will be some some additional information we'll need from you to get all that set up. Oh, that's great! This is great, uh, great information, Rob. Can I just can I just ask you about um, you know the shared home, the shared um, Airbnb original? <laughs> should we, should we go, go back to the the old Airbnb where it was simply just sharing your home and a, mm-hmm. and a room in your home? How does lodging tax apply to that? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bit of a loaded question for me, Heather. Because when you say sharing, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm older, so when you somebody says sharing to me, that to me implies free. Um, <laughs> so, you know, certainly if there's no if there's no money exchanged, then there's there's probably no tax due. But you know, look, the reality is sharing. You know, Airbnb or any other website, there is some sort of fee and 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 commission usually involved. Um, and perhaps what you're asking, if if it's you know if I, if I'm renting my my two bedroom apartment and if I'm in one bedroom and I'm sharing or I have a guest in the other, what are the tax implications of that? And, and typically it's it's the same as if you're renting the whole house. Um, anytime you're providing a room, a couch, uh, you know, an air mattress, if you will, that's going to trigger the requirement to collect these taxes, just like if you're renting the whole whole home. There, like New York City is in a market. There, there are pockets that have exemptions for that type of activity, but it's rare. But, but by and large, you, if it's a home share, it's it's going to be the same as renting the whole house. Okay, that's uh, that. That's great. Thanks for clarifying that. As I say, you provided that there's such such a lot of great information, and certainly for for me, if if I was a new owner or somebody considering 
entering this um, this marketplace for the first time, uh, I'd now know that I've got a fair amount of research to do. Tell me right. about what um, Avalara Mileage Tax does for their yeah. clients. I mean, sure. Our, our whole business model is, you know, we, we recognize the complexity ourselves early on. And our whole business model is to handle all of these requirements for our customers. So that means, you know, if you sign up with us, we tell you the tax rate you need to collect. You have to go research or figure that out. We're going to register you with all the authorities, do all the paperwork correctly and accurately. And then once you're all set up, we're going to file and pay the taxes each month. We're going to guarantee it's on time and correct. It's just, you know, our whole model is for go rent your property. That's, you know, like we talked about early on, that's become mainstream. It's become very popular. It's a very effective and powerful way to generate income on your property and we'll handle all the tax details um, and that would include you know some of these licenses require annual renewal we're going to track and take care of all of that so whether it's registrations filings renewals all the paperwork tax filings our model is to handle all of that for a customer and, and you know at a price point that's you know twenty dollars a month um, you know, regardless of where you're at in the U.S., so we think at, at that at that price point, you know, there's a, most people don't want to go out and kind of navigate and figure these things out on their own. Yeah, that that does that seems pretty reasonable to me. At uh, yeah, that, that's in, I suppose, on average, one or two nights of um, of rental that you have to, um, to have to have to achieve to pay that. For the year, right. I mean, I think most people are generating probably 100 to 200 a night. And, you know, yeah. our, our, our fee is 220 a month, 240 a year. And, uh, you know, if people, again, if people are very organized and they, you know, they want to save a few, a few dollars, this isn't necessarily rocket science. But, you know, we're just a solution out there for people that want help with that. And there's a lot of people to do. Yeah, I like, I like that idea, particularly with you, when you're saying that there's, you know, if, if you're advertising with HomeAway and you're advertising with Airbnb and Booking.com. It, it can get pretty complicated. Yes, indeed. Listen, Rob, is there anything else you'd like to, uh, to, to add to share with, with listeners about lodging tax, occupancy tax, tourist tax, whatever? whatever yeah, you, you, you know, I, I always like to close on a positive note, and I just kind of touched it through our last question, which is, you know, these sites, and I've been on them since 2000. So, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm an early adopter at this point, but it's been a great experience. Um, I've had very little to really no problem guests. Uh, It's been a great way to earn money on my, my, my second home in Vail. It's, it's become easier over time. I think that the big websites, you know, are giving you more tools, whether that's credit card, insurance policies to give us some protection instead of collecting damage deposits. And then, you know, we see, certainly think we're in that mix with a, with a tax tool to, to, to handle these taxes. So, you know, it's a very, it's becoming increasingly easy and a very powerful thing to do. So I would encourage people, if they're thinking about it, don't be shy about it, jump in. Um, and if you're concerned about these taxes, which there's a segment that are really concerned about how they're going to deal with these taxes, um, you know, don't let that dissuade you. Ultimately, you know, we're, we're, we're there to help people if they want help. But, um, you, you know, you do need to be paying attention and mindful of the taxes. But let's not let that kind of requirement ruin the party because uh, a lot of people are, are having a great time and making some nice income uh, by, by, by renting on these short-term sites. That, that's right. And it, uh, I, I think it can only, uh, you know, just continue to grow. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's still a huge amount of scope out there 
for absolutely for more and more people to enter this this market and and become providers to the travel industry. Um, what absolutely. I what, what I did like you know, something you said earlier on, and and it's something I've been saying to people for the last twenty odd years that I've I've been doing this is the moment you start taking money from another person and in exchange for your property you've just become a business person it's right it is a small business transaction and you have to treat it as such uh, that's absolutely a, an accurate point and that's that's kind of you know that's what my lots taxes is there to help with a lot of those you know at least all the tax and licensing requirements as part of those the small business rules well it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you rob and you know I said at the beginning, tax isn't that an exciting of topic, but you certainly don't make it boring. <laughs> That's very gracious. I appreciate, I appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Well, a big thank you to Rob Stevens for making that as painless as possible. Very, very few of us want to be talking about things like tax, um, but it is so important that we understand what our obligations are wherever our properties are located. So that was great, Rob. Um, Avalara My Lodge Tax is going to be exhibiting at the Vacation Rental Success Summit. So if you are coming along to the conference, you'll be able to stop by and talk to them and have all your questions answered. So, you know, yet another incentive to buy your tickets to actually meet these really insightful and helpful people in person. That goes for all our sponsors and exhibitors. Um, If you go to vacationrentalsuccesssummit.com, you can take a look at those sponsors and exhibitors. And we're adding new ones every day. So you can take a look and see who's going to be there. So definitely you'll be able to set aside some time to actually talk to the vendors in person. It's something that I love when I'm at uh, the VRMA conferences is to go into the exhibitor hall and, and really spend some time having all, all my questions answered. And it's amazing how much, how much more I take in when I'm actually talking face-to-face with somebody and not just uh, over the phone. And the other thing is, is that, um, you know, maybe you, you carry on your conversation with the, uh, with the exhibitors, their representatives in the bar later on or over, over a cup of coffee. Um, they are around all weekend. So you'll be able to have plenty of opportunity to get those questions answered. So as I said at the beginning, I have uh, a download for you. So if you go to the show notes at um, cottageblogger.com, forward slash VRS218, you'll be able to download my my vacation rental investment checklist. I've invested in numerous properties over the years, and I know that when I started, I did not do my due diligence. I didn't do the full research I should have done. And in turn, I made a lot of mistakes that some of which ended up being very, very costly. So I've sort of condensed those years of, um, of experience in research into this, into this checklist. It's not lengthy, but it is very, very useful to look at at any point when you're thinking about investing 
in another property or investing in your first property. So go over to that link and, uh, and you can download that checklist. As ever, if you've got any questions for me, you can email me at heather at cottageblogger.com. Um, if you want to email me and you are thinking of buying tickets to the Vacation Rental Success Summit, uh, email me and I'll be able to offer you a, a discount on those tickets. And also, it also gives me the opportunity to get to know you a little better so I can then chat with you when we're in San Antonio together. So that's it for this week. Thank you for listening right the way through to the end. Um, if you've got any questions for Rob, go to the show notes and put those questions on there. Don't forget, we're talking about occupancy and lodging tax and not income tax here. I will at some point be talking to a CPA about filing your income tax returns that include all your uh, vacation rental income and expenses. But that's for another day. So for now, thank you so much for listening, for tuning in. And uh, I think I'm off for another walk on the beach. So see you next week. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over. But don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business. Oh, 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 oh